Hey, uh, lots of things to celebrate. We celebrate, uh, you know, in just a moment, Daniel's going to get baptised. Uh, this weekend, Pastor Trina had a very significant birthday, and so we're celebrating with her as well too. You know what? In the life of our church, so many things that we can kind of stop, pause, and celebrate and give thanks. And so uh, can I encourage you, as Tam was saying, to be leaning in and praying in tomorrow uh, in this day of prayer because we are thankful, thankful for what God is doing in our own lives, in the life of the church, and as we continue to look to him and follow him as well too. Uh, I, if you're a sport lover, you will be frothing at the moment because the last few months there has been a plethora of opportunities for you to be engaged in. Now, part of the challenge uh, often is that uh, at this time of the year, uh, in our winter, all of those activities are happening in the northern hemisphere, so that means you end up watching this stuff at night time. But, you know, you go back to the end of June, the start of July, there was Wimbledon uh, and uh, two weeks of tennis. Uh, Towards the end of Wimbledon, there was this scenic tour that we kind of take each year throughout Europe called the Tour de France that goes for 21 days. That was pretty good. And right now we're in the midst of the Commonwealth Games. Pretty exciting stuff, isn't it? Anybody else losing sleep at the moment? No, just me. All right, then. Oh, no, no, I do see Lauren at the back waving her hands as well, too. Do you know, uh, I am so committed to the Commonwealth Games that uh, I downloaded the app uh, for the games the other day. Got it on my phone. I'm good to go. You know what? doesn't matter where I am, uh, whether it's morning or nights, whether I'm at work or just relaxing at home, I can check the app to see what's going on. Uh, I can see what's happened, what's kind of coming up. And even more importantly, I can see the metal tally. And I get excited about the metal tally. You know, uh, there's a few reasons why. Uh, Because there's nothing better than seeing Australia up there in lights, winning gold, silver and bronze. Now, how many medals have we won? Well, I'm glad you just asked me that question because I can tell you. Let me just go to the app for a moment. Uh, As it pops up and I go straight to that place right there, we have won 32 medals in the last two days. So, yes, Alina's clapping. That's pretty exciting. I get it. Now, I'm not half competitive, okay? Now, I may not be an athlete, but I do. I am pretty competitive. I'm pretty driven, and I'm always excited about the fact that we are leading the medal tally. In fact, you know what? We're beating our friends from over the ditch. I think that's pretty good. Uh, they've only got seven gold medals, where we've got 13. And you know what's even more exciting? Right now, at this point in time, as I declare it, we are spanking the palms. It's kind of like we've taken a bat and we've gone whack and we've hit them for six right over the fence. Now, we celebrate that today because in about a week's time when the athletics start, it might be a completely different story. But today, sorry for anybody in here is a palm, I'm so sorry. Um, we do love you. You are a part of the family. You are a part of the Commonwealth. We have tried to kick you out a couple of times. No, no, we haven't. Do you know what? There is something in us, doesn't matter who we are, whether you love sport or not, there is this innate desire for more. You know, more gold, more silver, more bronze, more medals, whatever it might be, it's like we are hardwired to just go after more. Now think about it. Think about your work environment, where you might be, you know, whether it's about more achievements. You know what, as a parent, you know what, what do we celebrate when our kids do something? They kind of get a little ribbon. You know what, uh, you know, they might have finished last, but they've got a ribbon and we're cheering them on going, that's brilliant, that's really good. You know what, we're, we're into achievements. We like more achievements, more success. 
uh, more productivity. You might have a boss that's wanting more out of you. You're thinking, you're already getting a pound of flesh. What else can I give you? Or, you know, about this time of the year as you're thinking, you know what, I actually would like a higher pay raise. I'd like to earn some more. You think, I've been working pretty hard, so I am deserving of more. I think if we're honest... This whole thing of more, you know, uh, it's hardwired into the way in which we tend to operate. Our culture kind of just, it, it's pervasive. It kind of pushes it into us. In whatever sphere we might find that, there is this sense of more. Well, you know, as I think about that, it's kind of true in my life, but, you know, I think of Jesus. It's kind of like he stands head and shoulders apart from everybody else and kind of operated in a completely different way. You know, when his ministry was taking off and he was in popular demands, you know, it was like he was a rock star. Wherever he went and there was people there and they were clamoring for more, for more of Jesus. You read through the Gospels and he does some weird things. It's like in those moments when the ministry success is bigger than saucepans in the eyes of the disciples, they're thinking, this is great, more of this. What's Jesus do? He kind of just disappears. And he kind of wanders off into these places of silence and solitude with, the, with his father. Or uh, in that moment, he says to the disciples, come on, we're going to leave this spot. We're going we're to go over to this place. My father has some business over in this location. And they're kind of, their hopes and their dreams are kind of, in that moment, they're just kind of thinking, well, this is what it's all about. And Jesus has other plans. It's as if in this moment, what he is saying to his disciples he was teaching them a, a truth that there was something of far greater importance than just achieving, striving, and, and for, for more of what this world holds up as success. You know, uh, what's interesting about the way in which Jesus operated in these moments is that he was so counterculture. So different to a, a watching and a waiting world at that point in time. And, you know, we see this throughout the Gospels, but where we probably see this best is in this moment where Jesus has been in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the Passover meal. And at the end of John chapter 14, Jesus and the disciples, they get up from this place and they begin to wander towards what we know to be the Mount of Olives, to the Garden of Gethsemane. It was only a really short journey that could take them out of this upper room, out of this old part of Jerusalem, out around the old walls of the city, down through the Kidron Valley, where there was probably a whole bunch of vineyards that were kind of vines that were growing in that place. And as they wandered through the Kidron Valley and up out of that towards the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew in that moment what was coming. He knew that his arrest and his crucifixion was just hours away and, and the world of these disciples, his friends, was about to be rattled, completely thrown upside down. A life as they knew it in that moment was, was to be about to be forever changed. And having just told them in the previous chapter that he was about to leave them soon, it's as if Jesus, as he wandered through these vineyards, pauses for just a moment. We aren't told what he, what he does specifically, whether he, he points to a, a, a group of, uh, of vines or whether he picks up a vine that was hanging on the ground. But it's in that moment Jesus begins to teach them and to instruct these disciples about what was most important. It was the priority of being connected to him. You know, uh, this conversation, this narrative that unfolds from John 14, 15, 16 through 17 
is some of the most profound, well, all of the Gospels are incredibly profound, but these are these, some of these final words of Jesus to his disciples. He's preparing them. And in John chapter 15, over the next few weeks, we're going to keep pushing into this new series called Connected, where Jesus actually talks to his disciples about the importance of being connected to him, of remaining in him. He talks about what it looks like to be his relationship. As he goes, what their relationship, what the disciples' relationship should look like with him, how they should relate to him, how they ought to relate to other people, and then how they're going to relate in this world. And so if you've got a Bible, you've got your device, whatever it might be, in John chapter 15, I want to look just at four verses today. And Jesus begins this conversation. He starts with these encouraging words where he says to the disciples, I am the true grapevine. Now, for us, you know, we, we get grapevines. You know, travel around Harcourt or head out to Morong or even head over towards Heathcote. Uh, you'll find farms where there are acres of just vines that are growing and it looks spectacular uh, when you kind of come into late spring early summer where there's just green foliage and fruit everywhere it is breathtaking sometimes to see them displayed we kind of get that but we don't necessarily think about them in the same way that the disciples and Jesus in this moment would have been thinking about because in that culture in the nation of Israel uh, Vineyards and vines were, were, were a part of the economy and the way of life and the way in which they interacted. But there was something even more deeper in this. As you, as you uh, read the Hebrew Scriptures, as you read the Old Testament, you, you notice that, that uh, God often used the imagery of a vine to convey the relationship that he had with, with his own people, with Israel. I'll give you an example. In Psalm chapter 80, the psalmist says these words. He says, you, God, transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and you planted it. You cleared the ground for it and it took root and it filled the lands. You see, when Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, he is not just thinking about an actual plant. He's thinking about something much more rich, richer and deeper than all of that. You see, God's plan from the very beginning of time uh, was to have a nation that would be a beacon of hope and light and would produce great fruit in this world. And if there's ever going to be a nation that would be incredibly successful, that was set up for success, it was Israel themselves. She was God's vine. The psalmist tells us that uh, God took her, she was transplanted, she was taken out of Egypt and she was transplanted into Canaan. But as we read through the Old Testament and the prophets, we know that the fruit that this nation bore was not always good. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 5 and Jeremiah chapter 2, we're told that the fruit that Israel bore was nothing better than, rotten, than wild grapes and rotten fruits. So when Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, he wasn't saying that Israel was a false vine. What he was saying was that he was the true grapevine of which the nation of Israel was just a symbol or a picture. Are you with me? Jesus said, I am the true grapevine. He made a whole bunch of I am statements. In fact, there were seven of them. 
And the night, uh, well, that, that night, just a, just a few uh, moments prior to this conversation, as I was in the upper room, Jesus had said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And here he is now uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, or in the midst of this vineyard on the way towards the Mount of Olives. And he says to them, I am the true grapevine. These men would have known what he was talking about. This deep, profound truth. Well, as he says, he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. What did Jesus mean by this? Well, he goes on to say, uh, uh, well, in the Old Testament scriptures, we know, and I just gave you an example of that in Psalm chapter 50, where, where God the Father is often presented as the one who, cult, who cultivated and managed the vine of Israel. And what does the father do as the gardener? Well, Jesus makes it really clear. He says in verse 2, he cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. Now, I want to stop here for just a moment and just unpack this just a little bit for us today. You know, what did Jesus mean by cutting off and pruning? We kind of get that imagery because, well, if you're a gardener, you've got great gardens, you understand that. But what did Jesus mean? Well, this whole idea of cutting off this first work of the Father in the vineyard, according to Jesus, was to remove, to cut off any unproductive branch or branches from the vine. Jesus says he cuts it off, he, he takes it away. You know, that word cuts off, translated from the original language, could have different words it could be cuts off or he lifts up uh, meaning to, to remove he, he lifts it up he just removes it takes it away uh, if you're a gardener you'll you'll, you'll, you'll kind of know what this looks like but I want you to think for a moment uh, about uh, these little shoots that sometimes you begin to see or in the September and October in our spring that begin to kind of emerge out of vines or uh, fruit trees, even rose bushes, you see them as well too. These little sucker shoots, they kind of take off. While the tree is beginning to grow and uh, the branches that are a part of that vine uh, or that, the, 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 the tree, whatever it might be, uh, are beginning to, to, to blossom and there's, there's growth that's coming up out of the bottom of these come these things called sucker shoots. Now, sucker shoots can look good. If they're left there, they'll eventually they'll grow a whole bunch of foliage, but they don't ever produce any fruits. And in this metaphor, in, in the teaching of Jesus, he says uh, there, there is a part of these vines that, that are unproductive, that might look good, uh, but they don't bear any fruits. And so his father, God the Father, removes those branches that don't bear any fruits. You know, we think about this, and it may I thought about that a lot this week in terms of you know, what does that actually mean? What did that mean for those disciples in that moment as Jesus was saying to them, Jesus cuts off or takes away any branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit? Well, maybe for them in that moment, they were thinking squarely about their friend called Judas, who had been one of them who had appeared to be producing a whole bunch of fruits. But suddenly he had been removed by the Father. You know, what's that say to us? 
Well, it does seem to suggest that from time to time, uh, it's possible for both men and women to appear as true believers and not to be fruitful branches. They may give evidence of life as Judas did, but still be completely fruitless. And Jesus says it's the work of the Father to remove those unproductive branches. There's another work here, though. It says, you know, this second work in this metaphor is the work of pruning the branches so that they might be even more fruitful. You know, we get that image. We do. Particularly if we think about pruning in the sense of not cutting off, but cutting back. I mean, any of those vineyards or orchards that are around Bendigo uh, in the middle of winter or uh, early winter, there is a sense of cutting these living branches back a little bit. And so, you know, if you were to see them in the dead of winter, sometimes they just look like a, a trunk with a stump uh, and there's nothing much else to them. But if you were to wander back four or five months later as spring has burst and they're beginning to grow, that suddenly there is life and vitality. We have this image of the vine dresser going through it and cutting things back so that the, the branch, so that the vines can become even more fruitful and can produce even more fruits. But it's a drastic process. When you look at something that has been cut back, sometimes you think, oh my gosh, it's been destroyed. There's nothing much left of it. But then just a few months later, things completely become transformed. Well, pruning might seem a bit of a drastic process, but that's what God the Father does in our lives as well. And he does it in order that we might bear more fruits. According to Jesus in this metaphor, in the believer, he said, this is done by the word which I have spoken unto you. And maybe you sit here today, you watch online, and you can think of a moment where the Word of God has brought conviction or pruning into your life. There's, there's been a sense of you realize, you know what, there needs to be some change in my life as you've uh, lived and, and as you've read the Word of God. And for some of us, it may not be as drastic as for others, but it can, it can, have, it, it can have a pretty serious effect in our lives. And while it might cause sorrow and hurts, Jesus told this to remind these disciples that, that this is the work of a loving father who does his pruning work so that we might produce more fruit and, and even more fruit, that there might be an abundance of fruit that comes out of our lives. As I think about this, this image of cutting off and pruning, I mean, what it shows to me is that we have a, a father who, who is intimately involved in every aspect of our lives. He's not distant and aloof and removed. God the Father is intimately acquainted with all of us. He's involved in all of our lives, taking an active interest, whether it be lifting up and removing, whether it's pruning something back in order that it might be more fruitful. Jesus is saying, you know, I am the true grapevine and my Father is the gardener. He's intimately uh, involved in all of our lives. Now, you might be thinking right now, well, what exactly is this fruit that God is expecting out of our lives? Well, in the Old Testament, it was pretty clear uh, the, the fruit that Israel produced. And it wasn't, uh, uh, and many of the comments that were made about Israel were certainly not flattering. Isaiah and Jeremiah did not speak 
glowingly of the nation of Israel. In fact, you know, as prophets, they often came speaking gloom and doom, telling Israel, you know what? You are walking down the wrong path. You need to change your lives. You are making wrong choices for your lives. And so they were often talking about uh, the fruits, uh, the poor fruit, the bad fruit that was being produced. But as we think about this metaphor and we think about what is it that Jesus was saying to his disciples and then to us, I think he's talking about the, the fruit of Christ-likeness, the fruit that is produced in our lives by the Spirit of God as we live and dwell in his words. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 gives us a beautiful picture of that. It says that the fruit of the Spirit, so it's not fruits, it's one fruit, it's the fruit of the Spirit is love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and faithfulness, self-control. See, that was the kind of fruit that God is looking for, and He prunes us. He cuts back in our lives. He takes away things he, in order that we might become more fruitful. And as He does His work... It's the fruit that's evidenced because of our connection to him or to his son Jesus as the vine, the source of life. Well, in this conversation as Jesus is having it, as he's imparting these words into these disciples, he then goes on to tell them of a part that they must play. So up until this point in time, he's talked about, well, I am the vine and my father is the gardener. And he says, you are the branches. And he says, this is what you ought to do. Verse 4, he said, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. It's like there is this mutual relationship that, that Jesus is beginning to talk about. They have a part to play, and Jesus says, I have a part to play in this as well too. We need both. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. Now, as you read this, it's obvious that the primary purpose of any branch is to bear fruit. We, we, we see it. It gets reiterated time and time again through John chapter 15. But here's the catch with what Jesus was saying to his disciples that I sometimes think we miss because we are hardwired for success, for production, for achievement. And so we move beyond uh, something. We move beyond to the fruits. You see, Jesus never commands the disciples to bear fruit. Fruit is the byproduct of something else that he commands us to do. See, the only command here is for the disciples to remain in him. Jesus says, remain in me, and I, in, and I will remain in you. And as if to drive the point home, he then goes on to the end of verse 4. He says, for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. So Jesus wasn't avoiding the fruit thing, but he is emphasizing and making that which is of most importance. He's talking about abiding or remaining in him. And I think it's clear to say that this was a truth that didn't uh, evoke any debate on that day. You know, none of the disciples were kind of looking at Jesus going, what in the world are you talking about? They knew, as we know, you know, it's clear without a shadow of a doubt that unless a branch is connected to a vine, it will just wither and die. 
But it doesn't matter what a branch does. If, if we take a branch and we break it off a tree and then we just kind of hold it out there, it doesn't matter how much it jumps up and down. It doesn't matter how much it says, you know what, I'm going to produce some fruit this year. Uh, it's just not going to do it. It's just a, a law of the way in which things work, of, uh, of which plants grow. It has to be connected to the vine. So the question then becomes, what does all of this mean for us as we think about it? What was the point of Jesus' teaching that evening as his disciples made their way towards the Garden of Gethsemane? And this is what he was trying to drill down into their lives, and this is what he wants us to get as well too. But put simply, it was all about abiding. It was about remaining in Him. You know that word, remain? It's as if Jesus was saying, hey guys, things are going to go pear-shaped, but stay with me. Draw in close to me. Remain in me. Life's going to get crazy and life, as you know, it's going to get turned upside down. You're going to be pushed and pulled in all kinds of directions. So remain in me, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, all of those things that they had achieved over the last two and a half years with Jesus, and there was plenty of stories. Lives of people being transformed and turned around. Miracles that uh, were, were just spreading. You know, people talking about what Jesus was doing. Profound things. And Jesus says, you know what, all of that's going to go in just a moment. But you know what, what is most important? Remain in me. Prioritize being connected to me above everything else. In a world that wants you to strive, to achieve, to do, to produce what I want you to do is I, I want you to remain connected to me. Prioritize that connection. You see, the reality is today that we can do a whole bunch of things apart from Christ. And Jesus knew that. You see, we can start a, we can start a business without Christ, apart from Christ. We can choose a life partner without Christ. We can choose a career path without Christ. We can do any number of things apart from Christ. He was about to leave them in just a few moments, and so Jesus knew uh, they could revert to doing any kind of things at that point in time. He's trying to say to them, no, no, there's something that I need you to do. It was his message for them, and it's still his message for us today. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So what do we make of this? How do I land that with us today to keep thinking about? Well, I think there's two really important questions. I'm going to share those questions with you, and I think these are questions we've got to think about. You see, the first question is really, it's really quite simple. It's a question that all of us here in this room and maybe watching online, we've got to answer. It's the question that says, are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to the true vine, to the true grape vine, to, to, to Jesus, the source of life? See, there's only one of, one of two ways that you answer that. It's either, yes, I am, or no, I'm not. You know, it's either really clear, yep, I am a follower of Jesus, 
I am connected to the vine, or no, that's kind of not what I'm doing. It's not my life. It's not what I have chosen. I turn up here. I come along. I love this community. I love being a part of this community, but I wouldn't really call myself a, a follower of Jesus. I wouldn't say that I'm connected to the vine. You know, if that's your response today, then maybe my follow-up question for you is, well, why aren't you connected to the vine? I mean, Jesus made some profound statements. You know, if we hold up God's word as truth, then when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, he was making a very provocative statement. And Jesus didn't just say, well, I am some of the way, or I'm some of the truth, or I am some way of maybe which you might find some life. He said, no, no, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one can be in relationship with my Father in heaven uh, without coming through me without embracing, without acknowledging that I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said over and over, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it to the abundance. So you've never made that decision to give your heart to Jesus and to follow him, then I say, well, why not? So Daniel's just made that acknowledgement. Stood before us today to say, you know what? I'm connected to the vine. In just a few moments, he's going to be baptized publicly as a statement. Reminding all of us, family and friends in this room and those that might be watching online, that he wants to follow Jesus. Are you connected to the vine? The second question, though, is probably more so towards those of us in this room or are watching right now as we think about, uh, well, yeah, I am connected to the vine, but maybe the question for us is not so much, are you connected, but how is your connection to Christ? Because I know that that can kind of ebb and flow throughout the course of our lives. doesn't mean that we are, that we're being cast off. doesn't mean that we're not one of his children, one of his sons or his daughters. But, you know, we have to check in from time to time. What is that connection like? Am I abiding? Am I remaining? Am I kind of making those words my own? You know, one of the places I grew up, or home for me, when I talk about home, is further north, it's about two hours away from here at a place called Barraport West. Now, there'll be a few people who know where that is right here in this room, uh, but uh, a whole bunch of you, just your eyes will glaze over and you go, I have no idea where that is, Dave. You know, it's this little place between Bort and Quambatook. They're great names, aren't they, hey? Um, Bort and Quambatook. Uh, you, know, you know, if you're travelling through Barraport, it's kind of the place that you go to that if you blinked, you'd just, it'd just be gone. Uh, you know, there's a silo there, but if you've ever been to see the Spanner Man, well, you'll know where Barraport West is because you've been to the centre of the universe. You'll, you'll know it right there. You know, see, for me, that is home. Now, whilst I live here and this is home and I've lived in other places that I've called home, when I think of home, it's the place in which I grew up, that I spent 18 years of my life, that have all these fond memories attached to it. Well, it's right there in that particular location. Now, here's the thing. Barraport is one of those places that if you have no affinity to it, you're really just kind of traveling through it to get from one place to the other. You're not stopping. You're not stopping at Barraport to check out the silos. There's no art on the, on the silos. And, and if you don't think the Spanner Man's anything to get excited about, you're just going to blow straight through there uh, because you're going through there to get to somewhere else. You know, I want to say today that I think that's sometimes how we treat John chapter 15 or this narrative, this, this uh, gospel, this, this conversation that's being unpacked. We, we read about it where Jesus says, you know, I am the vine and you are the branches. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we want to get to the good stuff. 
it's like we're, we're just kind of moving through this because we want to get to what Jesus talks about where he says, you know what, uh, and you will produce fruits and more fruit and, and much fruit. And we're thinking, now that's the kind of stuff because we're hardwired. We're hardwired to want to succeed for achievement, for success, to produce. But it's as if Jesus is saying to some of us today, maybe to all of us, what is your connection with me like right now? You know, instead of just kind of wanting to, to fly through this, stop right here and think about your life and, and what that looks like in terms of the relationship, this connected relationship that we have with Jesus. How well are we doing at remaining in Him? We just come off a, a spiritual discipline series, where it was called, you know, spiritual disciplines that, 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 that care for our souls. We've prioritized the importance of, of abiding. That was one of the very first things that we talked about. We, we abide through the words. We've talked about prayer and silence and solitude. We've talked about fasting. You know, rhythms that feed our souls, that, that kind of help us in this abiding relationship. You know, uh, there's a tendency in all of us to want to just kind of blow straight through to what we think to be the good stuff. And I'll be honest, there's been moments, and there's still moments in my life where Jesus has to kind of rein me back in and say, you know what, no, no, hang on, Dave. Come on home again. The focal point is not that. The focal point is me. The focal point is pulling back into what is of most importance. It's prioritizing being connected to Him. It's those words abide, remain, dwell, trust, draw close. Because apart from him, we can do nothing of any real or eternal value. I want to say today, you know what? At the end of my life, when I stand in front of Jesus, there's probably going to be a whole bunch of stuff that maybe is, well, is not going to be that significant at all. But I'm hopeful there's a whole bunch of fruit in my life that is the byproduct of prioritizing being connected to him. And so as we think about this, it causes us to think about this whole thing of, well, how are we doing as the branch? How is our connection to him? You know, maybe for some of us here in this room today, as you think about these questions for you, the most important question is always going to be, am I connected? And St. Augustine once said that we've been shaped by God for God. And our hearts will be restless until they find their home in Him. And some of you are here and you, 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 your heart hasn't landed with Jesus yet. And I get that we're on a journey, uh, but I, I want to just keep saying to you today that, that Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart and He's calling you home. And He's saying, you know what, would you, would you, find your, would you make your heart, would you find your home in me? And for you, there's no other greater response than to say, you know what, today I'm choosing to connect my life with Jesus. But for others of us, maybe the response is more so around, you know what, how is this abiding, remaining relationship? How well am I doing as a branch connected to the true vine, the true source of life being Jesus? A whole bunch of things that we can do apart from Him. 
We can, we, our lives, even as Christians, can be incredibly busy with all kinds of activity that not necessarily has him coming along on that journey. And Jesus says, remain in me and I will remain in you. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And maybe, just maybe for some of us, there's some pruning that needs to go on. It is so easy. It is so easy to become entangled in the vines of this world that are maybe not necessarily bad things, but they can become the things that are our priority. And today, God wants to keep cutting some of those away. I'm going to pray for us right now. In just a few moments, uh, we're going to step out the back and, and Daniel's going to get baptized. But in this moment, as I pray, I want to give you a moment to think about what is it for you? What, what is your essence? What is the Spirit of God asking of you as we, as we think about this incredible metaphor that Jesus gave to his disciples? What's going to be your response today? What's God asking of you? Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for your words. And we thank you for the way in which your word speaks into our lives. Every time we open it up, it is fresh, it is new, it, it moves in a different way. Father, I believe right now there'll be people here in this room who have not yet made that decision to, to yield their life to your son Jesus and to follow him. And, and there's no greater decision they could ever make than that. Or maybe there's others of us that we're just kind of wrestling with our connected relationship. We, we know we're already a part of the vine, but... Our lives have been caught by different things. We've become entangled in stuff and, and we know that we aren't prioritizing that relationship like we ought. Father, would you speak to us right now in this moment? Because we want to be the branch. We want to, we want to remain just, just like you, you call us to do in a world that pushes for striving and achievements and just for more, more, and more Father, we want to just say today, we want more of you. We want more of your son, Jesus. We want more of the, the presence and the power of your spirit in our lives as we abide, as we remain. God, for where we have tried to produce things, we just acknowledge and we say sorry for that. Sorry for our focus being on the wrong things, for wanting to move through to that and overlooking the fact that you simply call us to remain to abide, to draw close. Father, I pray for, for all, both young and old here in this room and watching online, God, would you help us to pull deeper into this, to prioritize, to give this the priority in our lives. And God, we then just trust you with what you're going to do. And we pray that today for the sake of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen.